0: Welcome to The Roger Snipes Show. My name is Roger Snipes. I'm a lifetime natural fitness enthusiast with a key interest in physical and mental development, where science and nature create synergy, bringing you lifestyle optimization. Hi, guys. Yes, so today... Is episode 25 of the Roger Snipe Show. So, thank you very much for tuning in. Um, before I give a little intro of today's guest, I want to say a big thank you to all of those that have been listening into the podcast and have been giving me some amazing reviews. I really, truly appreciate it. You know, like when you guys just take a moment out of your day just to leave some feedback. And mostly pretty amazing feedback. It really means so much. I so truly appreciate it. So I just got to say a quick thank you before I go a bit further. So yes, (laughs) thank you. Thank you so much. So today's guest goes by the name of Victoria. She is a... Man, she ticks so many boxes. She's, um, (laughs) She's into functional medicine. She's a naturopath. And also a nutritionist who runs a full-time integrative medicine practice. Um, So, well, to complement her functional medicine training, um, she's also completed extensive professional qualifications in nutrition, naturopathy, genetics, and epigenetics, which is what we're going to cover today. And. Hormones, um, endocrinology, uh, including interpretation and application of Dutch testing in clinical practice, uh, digestive health and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, autoimmune diseases, immunology, uh, women's health, brain microbiome and neurodegenerative conditions (laughs) Uh, she's a constant student of leading professionals but has also branched out to work with pioneers in the field of psychoneuroimmunology as well as various fields of energy medicine as I said she is just like a, a concoction of so much knowledge I just had (laughs) just had to have her on the show today I met her at the uh, London biohack meetup where she was I think helping out a friend on a dental stand and we just kind of got in a conversation talking about genetics I was telling her about the genetics tests that I had done and she shared her her opinion and just the way she was talking, I was like, this lady really knows a lot. <laughs> so I was like, look, let me take your card because we're definitely going to be talking in the future. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this podcast. We go into a lot of detail talking about extensive stuff to do with genetics. It might become a bit like, I don't even know how to put it, but you might need to pause, and drink a glass of water and then play again. <laughs> But um, it's real good stuff, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. So, Victoria, how are you doing?
1: Good, thank you. Yeah, how are you?
0: I'm good, good. Um, a typical thing which a lot of people are saying is, it's a strange, strange time we're living in right now.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> <Isn't> true. It? <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All <laughs> mental, or crazy, insert weird adjective here. Yes, definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, how are things in uh, South Africa right now?
1: They are strange. They are very surreal. Um, I mean, I'm very lucky. I'm in the nicest parts that I could possibly be in, and uh, a very, very safe, very small community. So it feels very nice to be here. But you know, you turn on the news, and there's a lot of fear, and there's a lot of, you know, army on the streets in certain areas, and it feels like very surreal. It just feels very bizarre to be walking this beautiful scenery and mm-hmm. environment, and there's nobody there.
0: Wow. Wow. It's not quite like that here right now, but um, I have received a letter in the door that it could be happening at some point soon. Um, I think it's because not everybody's taking this social distancing that serious. You know, you'll go to the park and you see people sunbathing, for instance, like, like you know, with the whole family. (laughs) Like... (laughs) you're not supposed to do this, really, you know? People aren't really taking it that serious.
1: No. Whereas I think we've got sort of, like, our communities are being very self-policed. So, like, people are shouting at people if they're on the streets. Like, what are you doing? I'm going to the shops. And it's just like... Right.
0: It's
1: a very... I don't know. It's it's a different atmosphere.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, anyways, um, thanks a lot for your time today. I really do appreciate you being available. So um, I met you at the... A London meetup, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, Biohacker London meetup, yeah. That's
0: it, that's it. So from what I remember, you are a uh, a personalized health, you're in personalized health service uh, dealing with uh, chronic conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, You also help those that are focused in health optimization and um, those that are in, I don't know, performance-orientated Mm-hmm. Um, you do comprehensive testing from genetics to biochemistry. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so you studied the blueprint of, um, was it the blueprint and the biomarkers to create a bespoke health plan?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Uh,
0: yeah. Well described. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I first met you at the health it's not the health optimization summit but the um the london meetup uh, the organizer of the health optimization summit and i think um the 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 common interest was when i started to speak to you about genetics and um dna testing which i'd done and it was really interesting to to hear your concept on that which uh, made me want to get to know you more because you knew so much
1: um
0: <laughs> Uh, so if I remember correctly, you was there with a, uh, for a friend who um, has, I think, a, something to do with dentistry. Um, I think they specialize in dental health and the microbiome in the mouth and you was there to help him out. Right? Yeah,
1: so long and complicated story but ultimately yeah, it's one of the companies that I just have on my books as partners that I work with in my practice and they happen to be there um, and I wasn't supposed to be helping them out but they needed some help and I know most of the people in the community because I kind of exist on the fringes of the biohacker community I work with a lot of the companies who offer testing or supplements or a variety of services to people who are either interested in resolving complex chronic issues or biohacking essentially in health optimization performance medicine.
0: Okay. Wow. That's great. That's great. I mean, I I think I've joined the community, the whole biohacking community for about just over a year now. Before that, I was more involved in, um, just general fitness. And then I wanted to kind of take my fitness to another level, you know, understand more on a a biological level or a cellular level, which made me, you know, divulge into genetics and my own genetic potential and and that kind of thing. Um, But so that my uh, listeners could get to know you a bit more, Mm -hmm. um, could you give us a little background about where you started in terms of like your genetic understanding whether it's studies or whether you've worked in that particular area what's your experiences as well
1: sure so um, as many people in this kind of complementary or alternative healthcare world i got into it because i was ill myself so at age 17 got incredibly unwell and uh it sort of sparked a self-discovery journey of trying to work out well what's wrong with me um and when you do a journey like that you come across a lot of information so you have to sift through all of the you know strange stuff and the wacky theories all the conventional medicine all the slightly off there you know in the vanguard testing etc and through a long and twisting winding journey I did end up Uh, studying functional medicine, which is effectively systems biology. So it's looking for root cause resolution of illness or disease. And it's trying to understand the body, not from a symptom and a pill to resolve that symptom, but actually from a systems perspective. So how does all of this work together? And therefore, what's the most root cause we could get to, to identify what's actually wrong and resolve that rather than just treating every symptom? And that kind of lays the foundation for a way of understanding physiology and when you have that way of understanding you can then look at all sorts of different methods and tips and techniques to try and optimize physiology from nutrition and lifestyle you know any kind of um, supplemental uh, mineral or any kind of product you can use to optimize your health then, when you look into genetics and testing, I actually have what is called a genetic connective tissue disorder. So, obviously, I was fascinated with genetics and tried to learn more about it to identify where my genes were wrong, if you like. Yeah, yeah. And I very quickly worked out that you can't really do that, mm-hmm. um, but was. With- you know, bitten by the genetics bug. So, absolutely fascinated by the study of and how much can we find out from genetics? What can't we find out from genetics? And what's the utility of using genetic testing within clinical practice to help inform either treatment protocols or optimization programs?
0: Mm-hmm. You know, that's really interesting because I think a lot of people would be interested to know a bit more about their genetics, um, especially obviously I come from a background where I started off sprinting and then I went over to bodybuilding and then, you know, you start to meet loads of other people and then you hear people say, Oh, you got, you've got amazing genetics. <laughs> and, um, I would think to myself, well, I just train hard, you know, uh-huh. but, um, I've, I, at that point I wasn't really in depth, like thinking about how my genetics was. All I knew was, yeah there was a physique that I wanted to achieve and I'll do my best to try to achieve it. So, in the bodybuilding world, some people believe that genetics is the key to building uh, the perfect aesthetic physique. Um, The sport itself is very subjective. Um, But my question is, can genetics be a hindrance or advantage when it comes to building muscles um, or training how your body responds to it um, and that kind of thing
1: sure yeah so what we know um, and what we can therefore test from genetics is much more to do with trainability than it is to do with actual outcomes and that goes for all sorts of genetics so whether you're looking at nutrition preference or whether you're looking at exercise There are a couple of areas that I tend to look at when I'm analysing somebody's genetics when it comes to athletic performance. The common one that you hear spoken about is power versus endurance. You you hear sprinters or you hear, you know, bodybuilders, and and that's a little bit to do with fast and slow twitch muscle fibres. Without getting way too caught up in all the genetics and all the technicality of that, quite a lot of it's been debunked. Quite a lot of people don't believe that it's that simple and that it's that black and white, because of course it isn't. And I think what we realize with genetics is that there isn't just one gene that encodes that you're gonna be Usain Bolt. There's a whole spread of multiple genetic factors plus investment of time and effort in training. So what we tend to look at is, where you're going to be better trained, if you like. So we can look at things like VO2 max and whether you can train cardiovascularly or whether you can train VO2 max for muscle oxygen delivery and how well that's going to go for you. It doesn't say that you're not going to be good at a certain activity if you put in all the effort, even if you don't have the genetics, but it is definitely possible to be blessed genetically so that actually the road of that training is a lot easier. And that I think is the difference. Nothing's impossible. It's just how hard is that training process?
0: Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Um, That's that's an interesting one. I think some people would still want to know, well, is it worth it me getting into bodybuilding? Or is it worth it me getting into uh, sprinting or some sort of sport? Because maybe they have some predisposals and they feel it's not worth it like continuing further i remember watching a documentary on Usain Bolt and it was quite interesting that you mentioned his name because he he was prone to a lot of injury Mm. he had so many injury uh, leading up to uh, many of his um you know Olympic titles that he achieved Mm. and he thought to himself that he wasn't going to be able to make it, but he, uh, you know, if he had a genetic predisposal to injury, he, uh, you know, he didn't allow that to be a hindrance for him. So, um, yeah, so that was pretty interesting.
1: <laughs> and we have to be careful with genetics because it's very common to get a direct consumer genetic test, which tells you all these health risk potentials, and that's mm. pract- and as you know health professionals we have to be very cautious about what we say to people because it can influence decisions and who knows if Usain Bolt had his genetics and we can tell predisposition to cartilage or lumbar spine injuries or you know connective tissue you know all those kinds of stuff um he may just have gone oh well it's not worth it then and he wouldn't have become the huge dominating athlete that he is so it's it's always worth keeping a really strong mindset of genetics is just predisposition it's just what you're born with as a blueprint but it doesn't determine your reality by any stretch of the imagination so Mm. the the old phrase is um you know genetics load the gun but epigenetics are lifestyle factors pull the trigger so what we know is that how you treat your body how hard you train, how you train, will always have a major influence on physiological end results. There is always gonna be the case where if you don't have the body type genetically to become a hugely you know, buff bodybuilder, it's not gonna happen. You can almost see that from your parents and your lineage. You sort of don't need to do the genetic test. But you can make a lot of changes. You can go from unconditioned, unfit, put in the right effort and have a goal. Um, Whether you'll compete on the bodybuilding stage and and be successful is dependent on a lot of factors, but it's definitely not worth not doing if it's something that you really are passionate about.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, not everybody wants to compete, but you do have people who just want to look in shape. And, um, you know, if we look at the different body types, ectomorph, endomorph and mesomorph, um an endomorph might say oh you know i've been dieting forever and <laughs> you know typical things like well, i only need to look at something and then i'll put on weight that sort of thing yeah. um do you think genetically they might be in a disadvantage or i don't know it's just
1: <laughs> So when you get to genetics beyond just trainability and muscle fiber preferences, you can get into all sorts of genetics around the way you apportion nutrition. So as in how well you can metabolize fats and how well you manage insulin levels and how well you manage carbohydrates. So we can look at all of that genetically and we can actually assess, you know, nutritionally. Is there a a nutritional style, a macronutrient balance, which suits your body type better in order to improve your aesthetic? Because obviously that's a huge part of bodybuilding in general. You know, how you look is just as important as power to weight ratios. You know, it's people bodybuilding don't necessarily want to do triathlon. It's a different sport and aesthetics is huge. And so Mm. there is a whole, um, there's a whole spread of um, nutritional genetics, which can show us not only how to eat for health as in cardiovascular risk and you know cholesterol levels etc but actually physiologically there's a lot of genetic studies into weight loss and weight partitioning so where you store your weight abdominal fat etc mm-hmm. and diabetes predisposition insulin resistance predisposition so understanding all of those factors can help you not just sort of train have a training plan that suits your genetics but also have the nutrition that really suits your genetics plus a training plan and it allows mm. for huge personalization of everything that you're doing so rather than just you know that workout plan that a trainer set for you that should be right sort of
0: yeah. you can
1: really personalize and get into the nitty-gritty of say you need x amount of calories well how are those calories going to be made up and what nutrients might you need to make those up of given your genetic differences in the way your metabolic pathways work? There's so mm. much information available.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll probably, I'm definitely going to get a bit further into that with regards to um, nutrition for your genetics. And um, you mentioned earlier about power to endurance ratio. I'm definitely, I definitely want to get into that a little bit more a little bit later. But, um, What what are your thoughts on genetically modified food? Do you feel it is essential for a highly populated world? I mean, I've read that it's supposed to reduce um, deforestation, and scientists can potentially uh, make a fruit um, more nutritious and uh, have a a longer shelf life, and um, you can enhance certain gene expressions. Um, But I understand that there's lots of people who are very dubious of the idea and they feel as though it can cause health risks. Um, What's your whole take on the matter with regards to genetically modified food?
1: I think there's always a conflict when healthcare and what's best for human physiology meets politics and the political agenda plus industry and the financial industry agenda, particularly in agriculture. So when you're dealing in that sort of triptych, it's like you can't make all those people happy. So what's best for human health isn't what's best for the financial purses of those in farming and particularly industrial farming Um, and it also doesn't necessarily match the needs of the global population Um, And it also doesn't always match the political agenda. So it becomes very complicated because I could give you a healthcare based answer and that's you really shouldn't be eating anything genetically modified. There's no need. There's no adaptability to that within our um, gastrointestinal tract, our microbiome. We, We don't recognize it as what it should be mm. so create extra work for the physiology and sure it's fine one meal in a blue moon but if your entire diet is based on something that is non-natural we don't, that's a huge experiment to run on human physiology we do not know the end result of that experiment because we haven't done it um and something about our innate sense of what's right and wrong <laughs> says that that's just not a sensible experiment to run but when you come to thinking about impoverished populations populations where they don't have a food supply populations where one genetically modified crop could feed them for a year it's a different question we're not actually saying is it a genet- genetically modified crop or an organic cucumber <laughs> we're saying is it a genetically modified crop or nothing and that's the difference. Right. so i think we have to be very careful in letting a p- political agenda rule our healthcare industry And I think we have to be very careful about letting those who have potentially things to gain from dominating the conversation. But I don't think that just because genetically modified foods could help avoid um, famine means that we should then have those within a, a first world country that's got a perfectly adequate food supply. And there's a lot to be said for changing farming practices that are in existence, like the industrial farming practices that we currently have, completely changing those getting back to a more seasonal way of eating and using the land how it was intended to be used. And that would give a different level of food supply as well. So
0: yeah.
1: it's a huge conversation. It is, uh,
0: right? Uh, yeah,
1: massive. And it, you know, there's too many, too many people are having the conversation who have dogs in the fight, unfortunately, and they have right. agenda and things that they want out of it. So it becomes very toxic as a topic to discuss.
0: Do you think there is enough food to feed everybody?
1: On the planet? Probably not. No, and I think particularly not if we continue to, to denude the soils that we have of the nutrients that they have. So this is not just a quantity uh, question. It's also a nutrient density question. So it, calories are one thing. Calories is energy, but it's not health. Calories is just, you know, units of keeping us alive Mm. to be healthy. We need nutrients. And again, that's where you'd say, well, we can keep all these populations alive. How, how well nourished are they? Mm. And I think that there comes, I mean, we are getting dangerously overpopulated as a planet and we are, there's so many consequences to that. You know, the carbon emissions, the just the general toll on, on the earth is huge. Um, but I don't know that uh, fake food or frankenfood is the answer answer to any debate ever. You know, there there are some very brilliant people who actually are farmers and know how to respect the earth. So it provides more yield. uh, And that's probably a bit more of a way to go.
0: Right. OK. OK. Oh, oh, that's interesting because I very much agree with that. But like you know from a from a scientific aspect or perspective, mm-hmm. I wanted to hear like what's your what's your thoughts on that, um, mm-hmm. especially if it is said to potentially be more nutritious, like they can make something more nutritious and fruits more larger and shelf life last longer and that sort of thing. Pretty scary, but uh, you know, just wanted I mean, to hear so- your perspective.
1: You can- we've been hybridizing foods since we could like grow tomatoes. Like the every food that we eat right now technically has been genetically modified because we've mashed bits of genetics together. Mm. Um, there is, I think human beings think we're thinking we're intelligent enough to know all of the chemicals in a plant is a bit of a stretch. It's why when working in natural medicine, particularly we give, whole food supplements a lot of the time, because I think I know what vitamins are in spinach, but I don't really know the, how they're mashed together, and that is what's healthy about spinach. We, we don't 100% know.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's um, different DNA tests available online, <laughs> which You're I right. think was the birth of our conversation, really.
1: well, was, um, yeah. <laughs>
0: Now, obviously, I've tried one um, by DNA Fit and um, with them, what they do is they mainly focus on your your, your power to endurance ratio and um, they also look at um, a diet suited for your DNA as well. Um, I also tried another one which was, what was it called? Circle DNA. <laughs> Don't know if you know that one there. Um, and that one was a bit more of a fully comprehensive test, but it was quite interesting because they were going into things like uh, genetic traits, like personality traits, um, you know, whether you have a disposition to uh, dementia. I found out that I have the, uh, what's it called? The um, APOE4. APOE4. Like, APOE4. I was like, Yay! <laughs> so I'm doing whatever I can so I don't switch on that gene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they tell you, you know, potential cancer risks and, and that sort of thing. So, what's your thoughts on on these types of tests? Do you feel as though they are accurate enough, or would you say some of the findings are, are perhaps a little premature? in what advice they give at the moment
1: sure so i think there's a there's a vast array of direct consumer dna tests i think that's one thing to say and they aren't all based on the same high quality distribution of data Um, i think where dna started um, and dna fit kind of falls into this category it was very much a few DNA SNPs, we call them single nucleotide polymorphisms. So a few locations which have, you know, different endings and, and that that gives you a certain predisposition to stuff. And it, it then they created a fancy looking PDF report which looks very compelling and made extrapolations from very few data markers that can't really be made solidly. Mm. And I think that's where DNA got a very bad reputation um, because. Even the creators, the the, the people who discovered the DNA helix thought it would be, oh my God, this is going to tell us everything about human health. And then we very quickly realized that it really doesn't. And the first DNA tests were very primitive and very, they over-promised and sort of said that they could do more than they can. Like you can't tell somebody what to eat or whether they can tolerate like avocados which I have seen in a DNA test.
0: Right, right. You,
1: you can't tell that. That's not a thing. Um, they've got a lot better. So things like Circle are very good in that they are now taking a lot more DNA points into, a, into account. Um, there's a whole you know question over the data science and the chips and the arrays that they use, but... Assuming that they're accurate, and 23andMe, which is one of the most famous DNA tests, has fallen into a lot of disrepute by not reporting accurately, questionable use of personal data, personal genetic data, all of those kinds of things. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean huge stuff. And they were reporting things like um, you know, Parkinson's risks and stuff like that. So the FDA in America said, you know what, you can't report on these genes. It's just too much information. People can't psychologically cope with this level of information so companies like circle come off the back of that where they base it on quite a lot of the same analysis technology but what they look at is slightly different With Circle, you have, um, as you've just said, you have a lot of these quite scary (laughs) cancer trait markers. And, you know, ApoE4 is often included. ApoE status um, is often included because it's a very actionable health marker, actually. But the way they describe it has to be incredibly specific because they can't actually talk about things like Alzheimer's and cholesterol or heart disease because it's a PDF report. So, you can't say to somebody, you're going to get Alzheimer's with APOE4 because it just isn't true, but also you'll freak them out. So, they have to very carefully word their PDF reports now. And the weakness within genetics, as far as I can tell, is the development of all the, the SNPs and what you can read in terms of the markers then has to get algorithmically put into a PDF report when you're looking at these kind of direct to consumer companies. So, there has to be a little bit of generalization. And there has to be a little bit of, you know, dumbing down of the science if you like. Um, Mm -hmm. But there also has to be, it has to promise you things. It has to say, we can tell you what nutrition to eat based on this. And then they give you examples. So they'll give you like the refined carbohydrates list that you need to avoid. And then they'll give you the, the complex carbohydrates that you should eat lots of. So people think they've got this personalized diet plan. It's not quite the way it's working. It's just sort of looking at generalizations. Um, and so these tests are getting much better. They have to be very careful about what they deliver, but there's still a lot of information that you can find out about yourself that you possibly didn't want to know, like cancer traits Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's very, it's heavy information to give and whilst circle are great and they give you a little wheel where they say, you know, this is how much is a genetic component. And then there's a huge amount of the, the percentage of cancer is, is random almost. People sort of don't read that; they just see that I've got this cancer trait, and then they, then they panic. Right. So, it's it's a very complicated area for any company to be in, um, and there is a lot of um, there's a lot of new information coming out all the time. Um, but I think what we have to be very very careful with in genetics is that everything that they say is from a genome wide association study, which is a very complicated way of saying they've looked at a population of people. They've looked at the way their genetics are and kind of associated certain things with certain SNPs or traits. And as such, it's a great approximation, but it's not defined data in many, many, many of the cases that we see in terms of the SNPs.
0: Mm, Right, right.
1: It's it's a world of complicated. (laughs) And I think that's why there's many coaches like myself who walk people through this because it is a lot of information and understanding how to um, prioritize that information and understanding the emphasis to put on it that information is often quite key
0: how how do they come up with something like a cancer risk or um you know dementia risk would they be even close okay so on on the actual dna report DNA circle DNA report mm-hmm. they do have like a Can't remember what it's called. It's almost like a
1: like a confidence ratio.
0: Yes, that's it. Yeah confidence So you'll say from I don't know one to Six or something. Yeah, and yeah, sometimes it might be a, a two sometimes it'll be a five I don't think I've seen anything full marks or completely low marks. It's like <laughs> always hovering yeah. in the middle
1: like, Come yeah. on. Man. Yeah, 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 no, but you yeah. just nailed it. So that level of vagueness is kind of how they get away with doing quite a lot. I'm all of these companies will be hugely proprietary about their algorithms and how they get the information that they're giving you because um, it's their IP. So, you know, we've got to let them do that. However, it makes us as consumers and professionals a bit sceptical. Um I think the confidence ratio is based on two things. One, how many of the SNPs? So the one thing that Circle are doing brilliantly, which a lot of the companies weren't, is they're not just saying one SNP equals one issue. So I use um, a company called Appiron, and they focus on performance DNA, um, but they are to coaches only. They don't do a t- direct-to-consumer uh, product. But the reason I chose them in the end is because they focus on many, many, many locations in the genome, and then they give a result. So from a 81-page you know, report, you've got six kind of large themes of results. So it, it's a lot of information, sorry, a lot of data, and small amounts of information. So Circle are doing a good job in that they're combining lots of genes, which I think is what's giving, giving you the confidence ratio so how many genes tie up together to give you this kind of verdict between one and six in terms of cancer traits we're back to genome-wide association studies so we're looking at the populations of people who developed these cancers what are the common genes um and is that possible to develop a confidence within that particular genetic analysis and then do you have that i think i don't know and i have Mm. looked so this is the you kind of dig into the, the back end of these websites and you're like, there's no information here. Yeah. yeah. It. Uh,
0: it, Miners come with an app with some information on it. They also, you can also download the PDF, but the PDF doesn't have as much information on it. It's yeah. very vague. Um, <laughs> so if who's to look at, okay, so I've got success traits. If you can see that there.
1: I can that
0: my creativity i'm gifted apparently so i mean yeah,
1: you know what gifted. i mean no this is not me saying this about you personally but i was just going to say i think this is the nonsense level of dna oh. <laughs> <laughs> well i'm
0: pretty confident about that
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: funny enough it says confidence score too. <laughs>
1: but you know- um It's the nature versus nurture debate. So if you're talking about EQ, so emotional quotient, intelligence, you know, um, creativity. If you're talking about um, certain neurochemistry traits, neurotransmitter traits, you really can't determine these genetically because put you in a different socioeconomic environment, different opportunities, different, you know, future in front of you your genetics don't encode how creative you're going to be if you have to worry about being on the breadline and having to get food for your family every day that's not mm-hmm. you're not artistic you're not creating music you're not I mean you might it might be the way you make money but it's mm-hmm. there's a you really have to factor in that certain nice things that they want to tell you about I can tell which I can pretty much guess which genetics they're using to tell you those things
0: mm-hmm. I don't
1: necessarily encode for creativity or emotional quotient, unfortunately. It would be nice. <laughs> yeah. But you know <laughs> it's, yeah, it, there's so much is nurture, so much is epigenetics, how you are brought up, what your role models are, you know, the environment that you're a child in, your how your nervous system is patterned age naught to seven is way more important than your genetics. And then what you eat, how you live, do you get grounding, do you get sunlight? How's your mm. sleep? These things affect health way more than, you know, a few snips on a DNA chart, yeah. unfortunately.
0: No, no, I totally, totally get it, totally get it. So you touched on um, epigenetics.
1: Hmm.
0: Could you explain in your words what epigenetics is and um, your understanding in how it would benefit us to know more about it?
1: You're giving me the easy questions today, I see. (laughs) 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 So epigenetics uh, is effectively, it's looking at how your DNA is influenced by um, certain factors over time. So that's epigenetic testing. Epigenetics, the word, just generally means how your DNA is expressing. So within the genome, you can have certain genes which are expressed and certain genes which aren't that's why it all gets very very complicated Hmm. what certain companies are now looking at is testing epigenetics in terms of trying to test what's being expressed within the dna and what isn't um and in particular epigenetics at the moment within the testing realm and the biohacking realm is focusing on several things the main one is dna age so when they say that they're looking at how old is your dna itself compared to your biological age Um, and that can be tested by what we call methylation markers so you can actually test methylation is a a way of gripping up the the dna as opposed to acetylation which opens up the dna so it's just the way the, the histones fold over one another that's a complicated science bit right but you can actually stain the dna sample to tell where it's folded versus where it's open so in that looking at certain things you can understand how how much influence of aging i.e. deterioration over time has been metered on your dna so in t- doing that test you can understand how old you are biologically as in your, your chronological birth date age versus how you how old you are genetically how healthy and how old does your dna look Um, And obviously people want their DNA to look many decades younger than their real age. That's the optimal, but there's other tests that people can do. Now there's a, a test, but stress scores So seeing how stress influences your DNA in terms of alcohol stress, uh, metabolic stress, and, you know, just general, you know, mental, emotional stress. We're starting to have the tests come out, which can actually see the influence on your, your DNA of these other stresses. So, uh, toxins and pollution as well. It's it's an interesting emerging field where we're now starting to see uh, the influence of lifestyle factors on right. DNA, and that's where it becomes interesting because it's all very well somebody like me saying just go away and do what I'm telling you to do, and I'm right. <laughs> like how do you know? And you can test your blood, and you can sort of get markers off that, and you can test many things, you can test hormones, you can do a subjective test on how do you feel today? And you might think that I'm the best thing in the world and I've given you the perfect plan, but actually testing your epigenetics, testing how healthy is your DNA, given the lifestyle recommendations I've given you, that's a real kind of cold, hard look at how effective is the way you're currently treating your vehicle and your physiology. Mm. And it's people. So whereas genetics is the blueprint that you do once, Epigenetics is a repeatable test which you can do every six months, every year, and just judge progress. And as the science emerges, you can keep judging all of your progress in terms of like, are you reversing your DNA age, which is the mm. optimum, obviously.
0: Yeah. Um, are there any? I've heard of people talking about supplements which can help to improve your your genetic or your DNA age. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the names of them to be honest. Um, <laughs>
1: focused on telomerase, so quite a lot of them. So the original test for this was um, uh, telomere length. So mm-hmm. we used to telomere length to, to judge DNA health. Telomere's are like the caps on the, the end cap. of your DNA. Yeah, so the longer they are, the healthier your DNA, or the younger your DNA, because they get, they get worn down over time. So there were a lot of, there's something called TA65, it was a telomerase inhibitor, which effectively stopped the production of telomerase, and therefore, the shortening of those little caps, Mm, sort of been discredited because telomerase is useful. So stopping telomerase is not something you actually want to do. Also, you know, testing telomeres has sort of been a bit debunked in terms of a method of testing DNA age, which is where the methylation patterns comes in. Right. Um, Certain people think that um, peptides can reverse aging or prevent aging peptides are a huge thing at the moment, a huge field of science that's kind of, it's the biohackers that are experimenting on themselves and eventually it will become something. But at the moment, it's a bit sort of, you know, people injecting themselves with stuff they buy off the internet, which is never a thing in my book. But you know, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. And if we didn't have biohackers and experimenters doing this, we wouldn't ever have science. We wouldn't have progress. So I'm no. always a fan of people who want to be guinea pigs, I have to say.
0: We're just going to take a short break and return right back. This podcast is sponsored by BrainTap, a headset which elevates your mental performance through tonal therapy, guided meditation, binaural beats, isochronic tones, and my absolute favorite, which is low-level light therapy. It works by creating a symphony of brainwave activity which is perfect for learning and productivity. It uses neuro algorithms to guide your brain to achieve maximum neuroplasticity. It doesn't require any effort apart from putting on the headphones and selecting your choice from the library. For instance, BrainTap Retreat, Build a Resilient Brain and Healthy Body to Overcome Any of Life's Challenges, or Introduction to public speaking. Captivate your audience, keep them engaged, and learn how your energy on stage can move mountains. After you select your choice, just pull down the visor and relax. If you're interested to get yourself brain tapped, then click the link in my show notes and at least try for free. Your brain will love you for it. Do you feel older? Than what you are or do you feel younger than what your birth certificate actually says you are well typically how you've lived your life will determine how long you will live a birth date is really just superficial information because it doesn't tell you how well your body is doing methylation tests and epigenetics testing can calculate your cellular age. This will be questioning whether your healthy living or not so healthy living is affecting your lifespan. To understand your biological age, why not check out DNAge? They can do a biological age test, which is based on the Dr. Horvath epigenetics age clock. Just go to mydnage.com dot com and use coupon code snipes 15 for a cool 15 percent off what about a uh, stem cell treatment
1: yeah so stem cells so anything that they say is going to make you younger like uh peter teal injecting young blood <laughs> not a thing um stem, stem cells are rejuvenative so if you're if you're kind of if you've got injuries um if you're struggling with um anything so like long-term issues stem cells can be really great also stem cells applied into the healthy body effectively you're trying to do a bit of a reset so stem cells for people who aren't aware are kind of the, the cells that can make any other cell so when you're injecting yourself with stem cells the theory being you could replenish ill cells with healthy healthy cells it, there, I mean, there's a lot of evidence, anecdotal, you know, stories that people have huge success with this. And it is a it's a growing field in certain areas. Um, it's quite difficult to get good stuff. <laughs> right. Travel down to South America, something strange like that. Um, but it depends what you want to go. It has to be quite targeted. So people who are just doing general stem cell injections in the hope that it's going to make them feel better, that's probably not a useful use. But if you have specific focuses, like I've heard of people doing it for hair growth. Um, I have, uh, in my chronic illness population, um, I deal with people who've had spinal, who have a lot of laxity within their spinal column and have stem cell injections to try and improve the the kind of uh, the strength of their spinal, uh, the muscles around their spine, basically. Mm. Um, and instead of having spinal fusions. So it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's an interesting field of science. Um, I don't think it's going to reverse aging per se, but it may help you live better for longer. And I think whether the narrative is getting to now, there was a long time where people were like, I just want to live till I'm 180. I think people are starting to realize that actually being healthy when you're 100 is the goal so feeling like you could still lift up your grandchild or your great-grandchild you could still you know go to the shops and feel very vibrant and full of life when you're old is the goal and we call it health span so it's not necessarily living longer but living well for longer
0: yeah yeah that is the goal that's that's what i'm aiming for myself funny enough like yeah i'm in my 40s now but mm-hmm. I feel a lot better than when I was in my 30s, funny enough. Mm-hmm. Really weird.
1: Anybody who finds health and finds like a way to live inside their body, but also finds just general happiness. I think happiness is the biggest underrated health nutrient there is. Like just being content, just like yeah. just enjoying life. And I think when you're in your 30s, as I am, there's this. There's still a little bit of a... Um, you know, competition vibe. You still feel like you're trying to get somewhere. You still feel like you're kind of on a treadmill of some description. Um, but I think there's there's a lot to be said by knowing how to nourish your physiology, knowing how to feel good inside your body. is hugely healthy. You know, it's it's a very undervalued uh, part of healthcare. You know, feeling good inside your physiology, like loving being in your own body, is, is quite underrated. I think.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important. Really important. Like, I find it really interesting when people turn... I remember speaking to a lady some years ago. I asked her how old she was, and she said 26. And she was like, oh, I'm old.
1: <laughs>
0: 26? <laughs> really? Yeah, you
1: to no, look at
0: me like I'm old. ancient, like I'm Jesus' friend or something. <laughs> like, what is that all about? And, you know, it, I, I find it fascinating that
1: mm-hmm. people...
0: It's like they don't want to get older.
1: Mm. They want
0: to remain young. Whereas for me, it's like as I get older, I feel as though it's an achievement. That's the way I see it. I'm like, yes, I'm still alive. And yeah, yeah, I've made another year. But people are complaining the moment they get older. I'm like, look, you can end it if you want. What are you complaining about? You should be happy.
1: Yeah, and it is. It's a funny old world, and people have different, like, Hopes for their physiology. I think one of my, I I think the thing I don't stop to remember often enough is that I was very unwell for a very large portion of my life. So, Mm. I kind of just, I just live. I, I, I still have stuff that I deal with because I have a connective tissue disorder, which means that like there is daily stuff that can niggle. And if I get into a sticky spot with my health, I can just feel a bit. But I still, you know, I still look forward to being another year older I still think that there's more experiences to have there's still I just see it all as a big experiment and a big kind of game almost um Mm. in terms of like what's possible like what's going to happen tomorrow like (laughs) life's quite interesting really and I think Mm. you know I'm I was going to say I'm lucky because I nearly wasn't here I nearly did pass away which Mm. is I, I think you do get this sense of like Intrigue about life when that happens, and it's—I yeah. genuinely am not one of those people who's like, "Oh, I must make the most of every moment because that nearly happened. It's not mm. the way my psychology's landed. It's very much I'm just a bit interested. Like I never thought this was going to happen. So, what's next? So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't need to live till I'm 180. I've—I I've sort of think I'll be bored by
0: then. <laughs> <laughs> you probably have a lot of stories by then, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, maybe, but, yeah.
0: Like, talking of stories, it's like you know, your connective tissue disorder, it's almost like your personal story as well. Like you're, you know, you're going through a journey and you're learning more about your disorder and how you're going to live with it and, you know, other things around it as well. It's not like it consumes you. And that's the only thing you think about it's mm. like we've all got little things we have to deal with, you know, it's just, this is what you have, you know? And yeah, it's your personal story. <laughs>
1: And because connective tissue literally holds you up, the reason I'm in nervous systems and I deal with human bodies is because in order to get myself from a place of not, you know, having serious issues, I had to really understand how every system in the body worked and how it tied together. And once you understand that and you understand the tips and the techniques and the tools that you have to just get yourself from A to B physiologically, you've kind of got the rule book of human physiology. You've you've got that kind of understanding of how bodies worked. So for me, like I wouldn't be doing this job if I hadn't got ill, like I just wouldn't be. Um, And so I've always been very much really grateful for the challenges that I've had because it makes me me. And Mm -hmm. that's not a difficult mindset for me to get to. And it makes me able to help people. So I love talking about this stuff and geeking out on, you know, what that SNP means and all of the genetics, <laughs> but I have really, I mean, when we first met, I'm, I'm very, you know, pragmatic and down to earth and very blunt about things. And I yeah. don't find not riding along the latest wave of health craze because it doesn't move the needle for people. I only care about what's actually actionable, what's information and what will move the needle in your health. Like, will it get you from, not able to do that activity that you want to do to actually achieving it and making yourself feel physiologically confident
0: that's it that's what it's about so you've got well from what i understand there's probably a lot more Mm -hmm. but i so far i've seen two types of age tests um we spoke of one which is the uh epigenetics Uh, i don't know if that falls under the Horvath clock is that is that is is that it? Yeah, and um, I came across one recently, which is Glycans glycans. And I think mm-hmm. I put it up in my IG story in which you responded
1: <laughs>
0: I, I definitely want to have a look into that I want <laughs> I want to know what are your thoughts on those two in comparison or more so glycans because it was the first time I came across it and uh, yeah. Just want to hear what you've got to say.
1: It's interesting. I mean, everybody's looking for a new angle, aren't they? Because new is different. New is interesting and sexy. Unfortunately, DNA is really boring. In fact, I ran this by um, the CEO of one of the epigenetic age companies doing methylation. And he joked and he was like, you know, um, yeah, DNA is really boring because it's very stable. It doesn't go anywhere. It's very constant. And it's therefore it's like basically unbreakable and very testable. Um, which makes the DNA elements very analyzable, very, very, you know, you spit in a tube, it's stable for a long time. There's less testing errors. You can measure DNA age with glycans. Um, The testing is different. The testing is, um, it's robust and there is sort of, it does, the way all of these test companies validate their information is actually testing against actual age so they're trying to see whether their epigenetic tests of age Mm. look similar to the biological age and they do it on mice first and then they sort of titrate into humans Mm. um glycans is possible to do that with it's just not particularly well validated yet so as you say this is the first test whereas we've been testing on dna for 30 40 years yeah so we've been doing sort of more and more things with staining. And every time you try to put DNA or a sample, any biological human sample through a process, you naturally change that sample. So the problem with glycans, as far as I can tell, is that it's a very unstable sample, you have to take it correctly. Um, And also with I think you can only measure DNA age with it. You can't measure anything else. Whereas there are other tests where you can measure more. So Hmm. the best, as I said to you, the best thing is to be, to compare them all and then just pick the one you like. So the one that gives you the lowest age, just choose to believe (laughs) that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, what I definitely want to do is when, when it comes back, I want to do a podcast with maybe the CEO or one of the, the people in the labs who has given me the test results back and find out exactly how it all works and how robust it is, you know, how um you know whether whether it is you know, um as comprehensive as the normal epigenetics. Um because... Yeah, I I want them to not just convince me, but to convince other people who may not have heard of glycans before or glycan testing.
1: Yeah, and, so. it, and many people haven't. And it's an interesting one because i it took me ages to do genetics, like ages, because I was not convinced. Um, mostly because they do lock all this information down. they lock all of the science down. And I'm that frustrates me. Just show me the science. I'm not going to steal it and set up my own company. That's too much effort. Just show me the <laughs> science like what you're doing. and and it's 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 interesting. And I think we're, having been in this biohacking world for quite a bit, you see things come and go you see trends come and go you see companies come and go you see this kind of there are there are always people trying to tap the untapped market because it's a business Um, and it makes it very interesting to be part of because it's fast moving and it's very interesting Um, but there are a lot of companies that fall by the wayside very early on Um, and that's that's just part of what evolution is in this environment and as I said earlier like it is the there's a lot of biohackers get a lot of stick and I don't like it because if they weren't around we would not have the advances that we do so the people who are willing to you know take all the vitamins under the sun and you know whatever they're trying to do it's it's nice to have those people where we can actually get data and the the other thing that I do a lot is is wearables data so having your aura rings or your fitbits or your watches garmin watches etc these are real-time metrics where we can actually test what the impact is of certain things and when you're looking at that aura is now doing a temperature thing for coronavirus they're now trying to do and I I love I love this mass market get loads of data points because we can all give our data away because you know it's just a ring (laughs) actually understand to understand about things and i know some of the guys working Aura, and they're helping people with lyme disease get validation for their symptoms because they can tell when the heart rate variability alters when they're having a flare of their symptoms these things are great and wouldn't happen without the biohacking community so if glycans is the next dna evolution and we're all gonna like decamp to that next Great, I'm all for it. An epigenetic age with methylation was that a year and a half, two years ago. It was Mm. brand new, nobody wanted to do it, and now it's getting real traction. So, who knows, it'd be fascinating for you to do a podcast with them.
0: Absolutely, yeah, in good time. (laughs) Um,
1: They've told you you're 32.
0: (laughs) Well, then I'm definitely doing the podcast. I'll be printing out that report and creating posters everywhere.
1: (laughs) Uh, I'll be putting it in my bio. Yeah. (laughs) Changing Wikipedia page. (laughs) (laughs) So, um,
0: okay, so you've got um, the microbiome ecosystem and um, I've heard, well, Some people say that your microbiome has more relevance to how healthy you are than looking at genetics. What would your thoughts be on that?
1: Oh, it's all relevant. Like people like to like choose a system and back it. Um, And there was the whole 10% human thing where you've got like a hundred times more, I can't remember the maths. It, It didn't really matter. You know, you had loads and loads more microbes than you do human cells technically true but like your human cells are all communicating with one another in a unified system the thing that we now know is that you have trillions of bacteria and viruses and pathogens and all of those kinds of things in and on and around you 24 7 Um, the ecosystem of the gut biome is a massive topic of research at the moment and we do know it's important it's predominantly important because it is the way you will break down, release nutrients from your food and then absorb those nutrients. And we have a symbiotic relationship with the bacteria within our gut to help us do all of that. They provide short chain fatty acids to lower inflammation. They provide vitamins and minerals and neurotransmitters to calm down synapses within the gastrointestinal tract they do a lot for us and so if there is disruption within that ecosystem as there can very easily be they aren't doing all of those functions so it can seriously seriously undermine human health and i think that's what people mean when they say the health of your gut biome is more important than your health almost or it can tell you more than more about you than blood you know to a degree if you're talking about a general gp blood test then probably yes the health of your gut biome is phenomenally important because it's the front line of how you assimilate everything that you take into your body including you know um parasites parasites viruses bacteria on food it all gets put through stomach acid and a huge load of bacteria and all of the immune system within the gut so the gut is hugely important as our kind of front line of doing a lot of Parts of how to be human, basically.
0: Right, right, cool. Okay. Um, are there genetic factors between parents that um, would cause Down syndrome in children? If that makes sense, like if if they have a Down syndrome child, are there genetic factors between them both, or maybe one of the parent that has caused that?
1: yeah it can something. be so yeah. d- down a lot of these genetic th- or a lot of these birth defects um they look like they jump generations because there's a, within genetics you have inherited patterns but you also have recessive patterns so things that don't manifest for generations and then turn to be dominant it's very complicated it's why we have a double helix because it just means that things can twist around so effectively things can appear when they're almost out the blue um there also can be other factors within birth defects of all descriptions, so it's not necessary um it's not necessarily always as obvious as you know parents carry certain genes um with all sorts of birth defects
0: oh right that's all okay cool um okay what about um genetic engineering uh, where you can <laughs> Design. questions. Say <laughs> <laughs> <Did> it again. <laughs> really
1: simple questions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm really fascinated, and I'm interested in this sort of thing. Like, you know, you, you can you can design like a, a muscle bound bovine, and um, I don't know, even like a, a child with green eyes now or something like that, right? You can you know designer a babies. Um, obviously, we've come a long way with regards to science in that respect. But do you think we've gone too far or do you feel as though genetic engineering is pretty important and something that we need?
1: So this strays into ethics rather than health, really. Um, I think that just because we can doesn't mean we should. You know, I think that's the general rule for life generally speaking like just because you can doesn't mean you should um so if we've got the technology like CRISPR technology to extract parts of dna and insert healthier bits um i don't know as somebody with a genetic quote disorder um i don't know whether i think that it's very sensible to start playing with Um, human physiology in such a way I think the consequences could be unforeseen and I think the reason I think that is because what I know about DNA is it's billions of positions so just because we know a certain bit that has a certain code which is going to do a certain thing within a child say and we take that bit out and we put another bit in we don't know what we're not looking at we don't know what we're not seeing yet I don't think so I think that we are dangerously close to thinking we're better than we are as human beings. It's a common trait within humans. We think we know more than we do, particularly when it comes to nature for some reason. Mm. But what I love about the the sort of um, tech world is that the same people who are kind of pushing this genetic engineering and pushing these programs are also pushing like psilocybin mushroom retreats and appreciating the power of plant medicines and they're sort of respecting nature. So there's there's this kind of interesting thing happening in the world at the moment where some people are really pushing the envelope of what's possible scientifically and other people are really recognizing that what's possible kind of emotionally and using and respecting nature. Mm. It it seems to be that there's this kind of dualistic split. Um, In terms of answering your question, I don't, I'm a a very natural practitioner. So I come from believing that the innate physiology is where the intelligence really lies. So we're just intellect. Humans are just brain power. Innate intelligence is from the physiology and a combination of kind of consciousness that we don't understand plus physiology that we understand to a degree, but not all of. And it comes out as this beautiful combination of human. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think
1: that's where we should just surrender to not knowing everything um and you know i wouldn't necessarily want to genetically engineer my child for example i wouldn't that wouldn't even it wouldn't even occur to me because i just would want whatever it is if that makes sense. i know right
0: it does seem a bit strange what about if um the the engineering of animals for let's say testing if um (laughs) you know like obviously when we come out with new types of technology, we, we have to test it somehow. Yeah. And we can't use human beings. <laughs> well, we can, we can, um, but it's probably not going to happen. And it's more, there's more of a chance that it will happen to animals. So what's your thoughts on engineering animals for testing?
1: So I'm not a vegan and I'm not an animal um, sort of protector. That's not where my emotion leads me um, I think that I think that a lot has been done in the past to develop drugs medications skincare you know you name it that's been tested on animals and I think historically there's a pretty bad track record of disrespect um, I think that it would be currently very difficult for us to make developments if we didn't genetically breed animals for the purposes of testing um, and I think that's ethically difficult to square for some people. Mm. Um, I am not a huge fan of, you know, drugs and vaccines and medications and all these kinds of things anyway. Um, So for me, it comes down to um, testing something for safety, like all this vaccine chat at the moment, testing something for safety and efficacy. We kind of need to have something to do that on. And, you know, worms, yeast things, rats mice they've always been part of our kind of world that we can genetically engineer to do this and it when you talk about it and bring it into the light it makes us feel uncomfortable much like yeah. you know thinking about abattoirs and the steak that we uh, it's it's yeah. it's complicated but as i think there's there comes a lack of understanding that we are technically at the top of the food chain and yeah. we've unfortunately developed a conscience so We weren't, as we were Neanderthal man, we were not thinking about the good of the cow in the field. We were just trying to get to be the top of the food chain. And we achieved it and then developed a neocortex. So we have self-reflected awareness, which is a pain because we then can actually comprehend the impact of what we do. Mm. But we've got ourselves to being the top of the food chain. So we can breed animals for um, testing and experimentation. And that's just where we are. Um, And that doesn't make us feel very good, but it's kind of... Who? What we have to be?
0: Yeah, I mean, is there any other way? That's the question, really.
1: Not as far as I know, but I don't work in scientific research, so I I don't think there's another way, unless we can breed mini. I mean, we have to have living things that aren't petri dishes, because I what I do know is that there is a huge mechanistic flaw in data where you're looking at mechanistic. Okay, what does this cell do in a petri dish versus what does this do in actual physiology in vivo if you like in life Um, and there's huge differences between rat models and humans like as soon as something is like in a rat trial that doesn't mean it's anything to do with what's going to happen in human physiology it just kind of means it's not going to do all of the kind of frontline terrible things so quite
0: fascinating i find that really fascinating because you always hear about lab rats when it comes to testing and it's like okay, we need to then move over to human trials, and yep. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so it it doesn't it, it even though the test has been done to uh, a living being, it doesn't mean that it's going to work on a human.
1: No, DNA is so. totally different. I mean, we we choose yeah. animals that are DNA like pretty compatible, right? Um, but not identical, and unfortunately, because we're humans, like we wouldn't we wouldn't do these kind of experiments on monkeys and chimps because they look too human. We, we have a very, our psyche is very primitive. It's why the, the whole robot development thing is so difficult. Cause if it looks too human, you get this weird complex in your brain, but if it doesn't look human at all, you just talk to it like a slave and then we feel terrible about ourselves. Like Alexa, like nobody respects Alexa. We just yell at her. So when it comes to testing on things, we're not going to test on anything that looks human. So it wouldn't be totally close to human physiology, like apes and chimps, which are really close to humans. Mm. So you then look at the organ structures and the life cycles of things like rats. And it's much quicker. Everything happens very quickly, which is kind of good for testing because you just speed up the life cycle of everything. Um, But it's not exact... Science. I think the, the main thing is they're testing for dangers, essentially. They're doing a lot of the safety testing as this yeah. front line in animals. So, it, will it kill it within a month or <laughs> a day, probably actually? Um, and then, you know, there's, there's there's so many examples of when these trials have come into humans and oh, oh, really, it does that? Oh, oops.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: never found. Um, and that's, you know, that's what rigorous testing is for. Um, yeah. yeah but it's difficult because testing anything within science when you're talking chemicals and medicines is it, there is a rigorous process to go through but it's relatively modern it's relatively new but if you're testing anything that's complicated like nutrition the science is ridiculously difficult because you have to do it in humans because we're the only people who have the digestive system set up like we are and it's not technically dangerous because you're just testing Um, certain parameters of food but the variables are enormous so actually doing proper nutritional science is really really complicated and that's why there's so many conversations about but what's correct what's right what's the truth what's the best there isn't one there's just the best understanding we have based on the data we have from an imperfect scientific field
0: so there's probably not going to be the best test or results from the GMO ingredients that they're working on, because yes. there's there's too many variables, too many different types of human beings. Like they're never gonna find out whether it's gonna be good enough.
1: Nope. And there is also this this like the gut again comes into play there. So like if you've got the gut biome to break down certain proteins, certain fibers, certain like the the detriment might not be impactful but like how do like we'd have to take everybody's antibiotic history their you know fruit and veg fiber intake you know what's their current gut biome like the, the the amount of information you'd need to select your subjects would be phenomenal and then you've got difference in race difference in gender difference in you know um hemispheres like where where you were brought up different The differences in humans are vast, even though our DNA, back to where we started our conversation, is ridiculously similar.
0: Where would you like science to be in the future? Where would you like to see it develop?
1: Oh, that's a big question. Um, Do you know, for me, I think I would like a much bigger exploration of the stuff that isn't uh, chemical, you know, that isn't this kind of study of everything that's external to the human physiology that can alter it and we're we're always looking for outside in solutions we're always looking for what can this external thing do to this internal vehicle my fascination the more i've worked with humans is the innate differences and the brilliance of human physiology as it is i think consciousness exploration like understanding how the sum total of these cells and the life experience i've had and kind of the brain, where is my consciousness? Where's that? Can we do a scientific exploration of like where that is? Because it's not in my brain. It's not like when you get into consciousness discussions and what is that, that's huge. And so I think for health, we've become very segmented into um, science and this real heavy evidence-based data stuff. And we think that's what makes healthy people healthy. But as you can, you know, if you have a conversation with anybody, that's not enough. Like you're not healthy if you're eating the right diet, doing the right things in terms of your lifestyle. And you've got all these kind of things lined up perfectly. There's also socialization. There is, you know, your emotional connection. There is purpose Like, where is that in health? Like, what does that do? And I think a lot of this falls back onto the nervous system. Like I'd love the nervous system to become the focus of everybody's kind of conversation because so much of this, so much of health in general is how is the nervous system programmed from, you know, the beginning, but also inherited. So mitochondrial DNA is something we've not even talked about and that's not mappable yet. That's, that's a huge topic. Mm. And it feels like there's so many avenues that people can go down and we're kind of getting lost in the myopia of like is vegan good for you is carnivore diets good for you is like what's like what should I do tell me what to do and I think it would be really nice if people actually develop this kind of inner understanding that we have a lot of instinct and actually mapping that and our nervous systems and how we connect as human beings that would be interesting to me personally it's a very personal answer that has nothing to do with where science might ever go yeah that's kind of where i live that's what i think about
0: yeah i i think i think we all have some kind of tool which gives us a bit of indication as to what we're supposed to do with ourselves like what type of yeah what type of food we're supposed to eat sometimes we there's certain types of foods if we smell it it just disgusts us I think it's our body speaking to us, you know? We okay. just can't stomach it. And, mm. you know, we'll have parents saying, you must eat it. It's good for you. Maybe it's good for most people, but it's not good for me, you know? I think, and
1: yeah. I'm very line, because sometimes children are just being obstinate, <laughs> or people are just being like, no, I don't want to do that because you're telling me to. Mm. But, you know, I work with kids a lot. And my biggest thing that I say to my, you know, parents who are desperately wanting their kids to eat whatever it is, Like if the child is spitting it out at you, it's probably because it doesn't, it can't absorb that, it can't deal with it. Mm. And I think innate intelligence is something that is kind of drummed out of us a lot. And I think if we really just understood that sometimes, maybe the, the right answer to your question is, I sometimes wish science would stop thinking it had all the answers. I think it's great for you know communicable diseases, antibiotics were a great invention, this is brilliant, But when it comes to how do I manage my physiology, I think we've outsourced a lot of our power for a lot of years to say, please tell me what's good for me. Um, And I think it's about time, particularly with the current global climate of, you know, governments getting involved in all of these kind of healthcare debates because they think they need to, and they think they're allowed to and money and all that kind of stuff. I think it's very much a time for people to say, well, hang on, I have, I have sovereignty. I have agency over my own physiology and I can, just tune in. Like, I have a real mixed relationship with wearables. It's like, do I need my aura ring to tell me I had a good night's sleep or can I ask myself? Mm, it's a mm. constant debate I have. Like, I really feel like self connection and connection to the planet and the earth is getting lost somewhere when we focus so much on science.
0: Yeah, I, I'd agree there as well, actually. I mean, I do have a red light panel, but I'll, if If there's sun outside, then I don't want to use it at all. I want to get out and try and get as much full spectrum sunlight as I can. Um, I've got a grounding mat, but I'll go outside and walk around barefoot.
1: Ground, do you know (laughs) what? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, actual ground, right?
1: Actual ground, yeah, it exists. And it's that weird thing, like instinctively. So when I came to South Africa, I, I didn't notice it, but instinctively I had to get my feet in the water every day, on the sand, in the water. And it took me a month to go, oh, do you know what I'm doing? I'm grounding myself every single day. But it's just natural, it's just what you do. And I think our environments take this away from us. And I think it would be really lovely if, not all the time, because you know, urbanized environments are necessary, but we all just developed a bit of like awareness that maybe our environments aren't supporting our health and we have to put a little bit more effort in than usual. But even in the centre of London, it is very possible to walk outside and maybe not at the moment, but like walk outside and get your feet in a park, you know, barefoot and just be there. Just listen. Just listen to birds. Like we don't need podcasts in our ears all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have to tell myself that, to be honest with you. If I've got free time, I'm like... Ooh, i got so many audio books which I bought, which one should I listen to. Oh, yeah. so many new updates from the people that I'm subscribed to on podcasts. I need yeah. to listen to one. And there's been times when I'd actually forgotten to put my headphones on and felt this tranquility. And I'm wondering, why am I feeling so tranquil? Why are my ears not filled with something? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's because I'm just allowing my inner thoughts to just talk, like, let me just relax for a bit, you know?
1: Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing about at the moment with kind of lockdowns and people are in their own heads and they can't just distract, they can't do anything. It's like, oh, so this is what it's like to not be able to escape myself. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Um, well, look, Victoria, thank you so much.
1: No, it's been a pleasure.
0: I've loved it. It's been a great insight and um where can we find out more information from you and if if people wanted to do you do online coaching or anything
1: like that you do online my whole it was before crazy lockdown processes and everybody moved online but no all my work is online so i do online consultations and i have clients all over the world so all of the stuff i can do is global um and i'm sort of you can basically find me in two places i mostly hang out on instagram as my social media place and there i'm victoria fenton healthcare and then my website which is going through a bit of an update at the moment and will be fully refreshed when i can get on top of it and that's just victoriafenton.net so that's kind of where i am on the interwebs and yeah just reach out contact me email me reach out on instagram i'm i'm available
0: awesome awesome that's great that's great so they can just shoot you a dm on instagram and have a little consultation conversation as to where they can go forward from there
1: yeah, and with everybody no matter what the problem i always offer free 15 minute chat just to say who are you what do you need what do i think you we might benefit from do we want some testing before we jump into a full initial consultation all of that kind of stuff
0: that's fantastic thank you very much for your time today it's been completely golden
1: awesome.
0: i'm i'm so happy thank uh,
1: you it was so good to chat to you thank you so much
0: no worries at all Thank you for tuning in today's episode. Any guests which I have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips, so always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links, which will be written in the show notes. These shows are financed by my sponsors, so your contributions are always greatly appreciated. Any clickable links with discount codes